Well, good morning again. It is good to see you. As we mentioned earlier, we're looking at God's view and God's wisdom concerning money and things. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 6 through 19, and, and God has a lot to say about our finances. And we live in uncertain times. And as we start a new year, I'm sure many are saying, this may be really tough. What are we going to do this year? Some of you here this morning or watching online may be facing uncertainty in how you're going to pay your bills. More and more Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. How do we handle what God has given us? How do we have the right attitude concerning the things that we have? And I trust that, that over these next five weeks, it will be an encouragement to each one of you as we consider God's view on things. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a young pastor named Timothy. And he wrote it with lots of encouragement for Timothy and the people that he was leading and challenges in how to live godly lives and many simply practical lessons that they were to learn. He challenged Timothy, the people there in the church, as well as each one of us, on how to have a godly relationship, how, how to relate well to God and others. So as we prepare our hearts this morning, let's go to God and ask him for wisdom and guidance. Father, as we come before you, may we be challenged in our relationship with you. May we be encouraged in your faithfulness. Lord, as we face uncertain times, may we recognize that we have a faithful God. And we can be certain that you will walk with us through each and every step. Lord, guide our hearts. Keep us from anything that would distract us from the principles of your word. And we will give you the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in chapter 6 here of 1 Timothy, Paul challenges Timothy to, to have a godly response in his life. He needed to have a godly response to his position, a godly response in his goals, a godly response to all of his relationships in life. Now, there were many false teachers who, who sought positions or used their positions to provide power for themselves, to, to seek out wealth and position. We see that 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. It's, Paul has been sharing with Timothy over the last couple chapters some of the things that he needed to teach to the people. But then he, he uses the, the comparison and the contrast of what these false teachers, these dissenters were bringing about as they were causing dissension within the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 3, it says, If anyone teaches otherwise, that's other than God's word and principles, does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means to gain. From such, withdraw yourself. 
Many had come in and they desired to create disunity, seek their own glory, their own power. But Paul warned Timothy to stay away from those troublemakers. Instead, Timothy was to live with a different attitude. He was to live a life of godliness and contentment. Verse 6 begins, the section that we're going to be looking at over these next five weeks, begins with this, this phrase, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness. Godliness could simply be defined as godlike character. In verses 9 and 10, Paul warns of the danger of the love of money. And many false teachers were using their positions with the goal to, to make money. Power and money, that's what it was all about. But Timothy was to have a different attitude and goal. Now next week we're going to jump back to verses 9 and 10, but, but we see this godliness introduced in verse 6 is further described in verses 11 and following. First Timothy 6, beginning in verse 11, it says, But you, O man of God, in other words, in contrast to these others, you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Verse 11 begins with that, but you... Timothy was to have a contrasting character to those who were selfishly in it for themselves. He was to be known for the opposite characteristics of these greedy leaders. We see he was to be known what he was to flee from in verse 11. A godly man resists being controlled by the love of money. He was to be known what he follows after. A godly man lives out the character traits listed in the last part of verse 11. We see those godly characteristics listed. The first one, righteousness, doing what is right. And godliness, the internal motive and attitude which leads to those right actions. Faith, a confident trust in God for everything in all areas of our life. To trust God, having confidence that he will come through. And then love, unconditionally putting God and others before ourselves. The choice to love God first and to love others before ourselves. That agape love, unconditional love, not based upon their merit but based upon honoring God in the way we put them first. And patience, or yours may say perseverance, unswerving loyalty to God in the midst of trials. And then gentleness, which is kindness or meekness, 
We see also in verse 12 that Timothy was to be known for what he fights for. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We're to be known for what we fight for, the faith. He was to minister in the, with a focus on and in light of eternity. And then he was to be known what he was faithful to. Verse 14 tells us that he was to keep the commandment. He was to be faithful to God and his word. And then we see, as Paul closes this portion of this section, he's saying that Timothy was to be a godly example above reproach in front of many witnesses that he is without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. So Timothy was to live a life of godliness. We're all to live a life of godliness Our life should reflect the God that we serve. But also, it says godliness with contentment is great gain. That word contentment. I came across a powerful definition of contentment, and that's this. An inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of outward circumstances. We will fail in our battle for godliness if we are not content. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, says this, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Contentment. Paul reminds us there in verse 7 that we will enter this world with nothing and we will leave it the same way. The Old Testament story of Job is a very interesting picture and reminder of the importance of contentment. If you're not familiar with the story of Job, Job, an Old Testament character, in fact, the Old Testament book named after him, he was a very, very wealthy man. He had all that you could ask for. He had a great family. He had possessions. He had flocks and herds and land and property. One of the wealthiest men of his time. But Satan said, you know, he comes before, Satan came before God and he said, you know, God, here's the thing. The only reason that Job is such a follower of you is because you've given him everything he's ever wanted. And if some of that stuff was taken away, Job wouldn't be the follower that we see today. And so God allowed Satan to take away certain things from Job. And in these first verses of Job chapter 1, we see messenger after messenger coming and and telling Job of destruction that was taking place and, and that his flocks and herds had been stolen, many of his possessions were destroyed, his children were killed in a horrific accident. All these things taking place, almost everything that Job had in a very short amount of time was taken away. And in Job 1, verse 21, we see Job's response to all that being taken away. And he, Job 1, 21, and he, Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. 
The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Godly response to changing circumstances. You know, I've got a couple pictures coming up here that, that don't fit together. The first one, a hearse. And the second one, a U-Haul. I looked for a picture of them together, but I couldn't find one. Why? Because they don't go together. You see, you leave it all behind. It was interesting, they, they interviewed John D. Rockefeller's accountant shortly after John D. Rockefeller died. And so they were very curious about his finances and possessions. So one of the people asked him, so how much did he leave behind? I love the answer that the accountant gave. The accountant said he left all of it. You see, Job got it right. We brought nothing into this world and we're going to take nothing out. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Contentment is not based upon our circumstances. We like to think, if I just had this, then I would be happy. You remember that? Uh, and I remember Christmas growing up. We had a Christmas not too long ago. I still get excited about getting gifts at Christmas. Hopefully I get excited about giving gifts at Christmas too, right? But I remember as a kid and I had my list and I thought, boy, if I just got this. One year it was Rock'em Sock'em Robots. You remember Rock'em Sock'em Robots? Now, I guess they have them again, but nothing like the original. And I remember the year that I got Rock'em Sock'em Robots, how could life be any better? I was content. Until after a few months, it got sort of boring, and I was looking for the new thing. If you have young children, you may have had this last Christmas, not a few months, a few minutes. And then what's the next thing? You see, contentment is something that is not based upon circumstances. It's based upon an attitude. It's based upon our relationship with Christ. Paul speaks a lot about contentment in Philippians chapter 4, probably the most familiar passage dealing with contentment. And Paul was writing to, to a group of people. It was a church in a, in a town called Philippi. And that town and that church were known for their intense poverty. But yet, out of their poverty, they were givers. And Paul responds here in Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, to a gift that they had sacrificially given to the ministry to, to propagate the gospel of Christ. So notice what he says beginning in verse 10. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens 
me. If we could go back to that, the slide before, Dylan, if we could go back to verse 11. You notice there's some things here that Paul is teaching us about contentment. The first one is found in verse 11. Verse 11, we find that contentment is learned. He said, I have learned to be content. It doesn't come naturally. You put two toddlers on the floor with toys and contentment disappears. What happens? There could be a toddler sitting on the floor with a toy that's been sitting there for hours and they haven't even noticed it. But guess what? You bring in another toddler who picks up that toy and and what happens? The fight is on. That toy that moments earlier had no effect. Now that toddler cannot live without it. We don't have to teach children, we're adults, to be selfish. It comes naturally. But we have to learn to be content. Paul says that whatever state I have learned to be content. Not only do we see in that passage it doesn't come naturally, but we see that contentment is not based on our circumstances. Go to verse 12. It says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, to be, or to abound and to suffer need. What's he saying? He's saying this, that, that contentment's not based on my circumstances. Paul said, at times in my life that were lean, and at times in my life that were bountiful, I've learned to be content. But what do we like to do? I know this is my temptation, and I'm confident it's yours too. You say, oh, if, just, if things were a little different, or if I just had this, then I would be happy. I would be content. But contentment is not based upon our circumstances. And we see the third lesson that Paul teaches us from Philippians 4 there in verse 13. Contentment is only possible through Christ. Verse 13 is one of the most familiar passages in Scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who gives me strength. And we like to use that verse in a lot of different circumstances. Maybe you're facing a physical difficulty. And what do you say? You say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe it's, it's a relationship that's sort of bumpy right now. And you're wondering, you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe a response to someone who is testing you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And those are very true cases and circumstances that we need to consider that. But notice the context in which Paul shares Philippians 4.13. The context in which he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's the context of learning contentment. He's saying, I can be content because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the only reason 
that I can be content because of the power of Jesus Christ. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We could translate it this way. I can face anything. I can be content in any circumstance through Christ who gives me strength. Contentment does not come naturally. It's learned. It's not based on my circumstances. And it's only possible through the power of Christ. Linda Dillow wrote a book called Calm My Anxious Heart. And throughout that book, she speaks an awful lot or writes an awful lot about the issue of contentment. And in the book, as one of her illustrations, she shares from the journal of a lady named Ella. Ella and her husband served as missionaries to the pygmies of Africa for 52 years. And... Linda Dillow was good friends with Ella's daughter, and this daughter had shared this journal that they came across after Ella had died. And in her journal, she talked about many things over those 52 years of ministry, but she, in one section, she shared the keys to contentment in very difficult circumstances. And in her journal, Ella listed five keys in order for her to be content. The first one was this, never allow yourself to complain about anything, even the weather. Now you have to understand, living there and and working there in Africa, it was in one of the hottest areas of the world. In fact, they would not be able to keep the thermometer outside because the temperature would get so high that the thermometer would break. And so Ella committed that she would not complain about anything, even the weather. Now, some of us may have complained about the weather when we got up this morning and came, came to church. It was a little uh, invigorating, wasn't it? Not quite as bad as a couple weeks ago, though, right? Her second key was this. Never picture yourself in any other circumstances or someplace else. We like to think, oh, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. If things were just different, or if I just lived here, or if I just had that job, or if she just would be willing to marry me, or whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, never picture yourself in any other circumstance or someplace else. Third was this, never compare your lot with another's. (laughs) Well, yeah, they're content, but do you see what their life is like? Never allow yourself to wish this or that had been otherwise. Oh, if I could have just changed the past, if things would have just been different then, then I could be content. And never dwell on tomorrow. Remember that tomorrow is God's, not ours. Those five keys to contentment. Never allow yourself to complain about everything. Never picture yourself in any other circumstance or someplace else. Never compare your lot with another's. Never allow yourself to wish this or that had been otherwise. And never dwell on tomorrow. I thought it was interesting after listing those things, and and Linda was familiar with Ella and her family, her and her husband, and their amazing ministry there in Africa. She goes on to summarize Ella's life, and she says this. 
Her eyes were fixed on eternity. Her tomorrows belonged to God. She had, been, she had given them to him. And because all her tomorrows were nestled in God's strong arm, she was free to live today. One day at a time, she could make the right choices and grow to possess the holy habit of contentment. If we're going to honor God in the way we handle our money and things, it has to begin with the foundation of contentment. If I am not content, I will not be godly, and I will not handle the things that God has given me correctly. So as Paul was challenging Timothy, he reminded them, godliness with contentment is great gain. Remember, you didn't bring anything into this world, you're not going to bring anything out. But simply look to Christ and be content with what you have. It's interesting, Proverbs chapter 30. The, the writer of Proverbs 30 made an interesting statement in verses 7 through 9. He says this, Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. That's the godliness part. And then give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. It's interesting. I remember hearing a guy one time make this statement. He said, you know, I don't believe God is going to give me any more than I can handle. And I remember that statement. It was years ago. I can't even remember the context in which it was stated. But I thought about that statement. And I've thought over the years about that statement. Will God ever give me more than I can handle? I'd like to try it maybe, huh? How about you? But if I have more than enough... Will I take my focus off of God? You see, that's just as dangerous as complaining because I don't have enough. And it's very easy to take my focus off of God with a full freezer. We're going to talk about that a little later on in the series. How can I pray, Lord, give me this day my daily bread with a full freezer? Because we begin to become self-sufficient and look to ourselves for our needs when we need to look to God alone. But the other end of the spectrum, when I don't feel I have enough, how am I going to pay this bill? What am I going to have for dinner? Can I be content when I'm full and when I'm hungry? God said, or Paul said, whether I abound or whether I'm abased, whether I have little or plenty, I have learned to be content. So here in 1 Timothy, the first attitude that 
Paul challenges to have is the attitude of contentment. We must display contentment if we're to properly handle the things that God gives us as stewards to have and enjoy. But without contentment, we will fail miserably. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh, God my provider. As we've sung about and we will sing again to remind ourselves that you are faithful. And Lord, as we face uncertain times, as each of us live in different circumstances, help us to recognize that you and you alone are the one who can provide contentment in our lives. Help us to look to you for that contentment. And help us to glorify you and rejoice in your faithfulness. Lord, we give our things to you. Help us to be the stewards that we're called to be. And thank you for the hope that we can have in a faithful God. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.